What if the shows you binge watch could actually help you heal? In this episode of the Executor Health Podcast, Kim Stamp takes us on her unique journey of using HGTV home renovation shows to process childhood trauma and create a blueprint for a brighter future. Tune in and be amazed. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedie.com. Now here's your host, David Edie. So on this episode, it's a story about personal transformation and overcoming adversity. My guest is Kim Stamp, and she's going to share her remarkable journey of healing and growth. But let's dive into her story and learn a little bit more about her experience. Kim, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you for having me. Now, I came to learn about you after reading an article you posted in HuffPost, and I thought your story was fascinating. And just before we started, I push record here, you've got such an interesting story of, of, of your life and things that you've done and you continue to do. But let's start about why you wrote the article. And, and it all started when your mom died? Yes, that's correct. Interestingly enough, there were a number of things that I just had kind of shoved aside uh, while my mom was living, some wounds from my childhood and that type of thing that um, I guess I just wasn't ready to deal with, with my mom being around. And once my mom died, all those things kind of came rushing to the surface and uh, were begging to be dealt with. So you said it sort of unlocked some flood of past memories. So how did that affect your emotional well-being? Yeah, it it did. Um, and a lot of those memories would come like at bedtime, I think because it was a time of being um, at rest, if you will, and giving my brain a chance to kind of poke me a little bit. And it really stirred a bunch of anger in me, to be honest with you. Um, sadness as well, but I think the predominant predominant emotion for me at that point was anger as I started to see kind of my mom's involvement in some memories and wounds that I had more attributed to my father who was an alcoholic. Right. So what was interesting is that you found solace in watching home renovation shows on HGTV. What were some of your favorites? Oh boy, there were several. I really enjoyed Hometown um, with Ben and Aaron, they seem very genuine and they're they're kind of a happy force as a couple. I also really enjoyed watching Love It or List It with Hilary Farr. And then she had a, a new show that came out in the midst of all of this called Tough Love with Hilary Farr. Um, and that that show became really meaningful to me, actually, besides being a good distraction and some good entertainment it also became meaningful i should say you mentioned three of the three of the shows that uh in our household i'm not really into it but my my partner susan she loves them so we're on the couch so it's not on you know it's, it's not unfathomable to me that you would start to binge watch and now that's part of our pvr watching that uh, hometown and and uh, Love It or Listed with uh, Hillary and David, and then also yes. were their own show. So those, I, I get it in terms of how it could be escapism, but how did it become escapism for you? Yeah, it, it started as a distraction, uh, just wanting to to not be thinking about the things that were in my mind. And that's basically what it started as, kind of pure and simple, just a distraction so that I didn't have to think about my grief or my anger or my sadness. And 
Um, and then it kind of progressed from there really into a word picture or a metaphor that became really meaningful to me. Was there one specific moment, a revelation that you realized that these home renovation shows offered you more than just entertainment? Yeah, really, it came through the Tough Love with Hillary Farr show, because in that show, she deals with not only the um, what I would call the spatial problems, the the difficulties or dysfunctions in the house itself, but also she deals with the dysfunction with whatever family or couple that she's working with. And as I saw that taking place, it, it just, I'm very visual. And I think for me, it just created this visual picture that I could use to try to help myself. I know you mentioned in the piece in HuffPost that, that uh, the metaphor of home renovations and how it helped you demolish harmful thought patterns. Could you elaborate, elaborate a little bit on, on that and how, what are some specific examples? Yeah, so if you look at the foundation of a home in, in any of those shows, if they find a crack in the foundation or some kind of problem with the foundation, it stops work altogether and they've got to go and not only repair what they find, but also figure out what caused that damage so that they can mitigate that so that it doesn't happen again. And I just had this understanding that I was sure I had some foundational beliefs that came from my childhood wounds and trauma that I was going to need to sort of investigate and figure out what caused those beliefs and what did I need to do to change those beliefs. And probably the biggest the biggest one for me was a belief that I didn't hold value in and of myself, that if I wasn't doing something to earn my value, that I, I didn't have that value. And as I I realized that I had that belief, I saw how destructive that belief can be and that I really truly believed I needed to earn love from others, e even others like my partner who I could logically tell you that she loves me for who I am, but my emotions would combat that logic and tell me that that, that wasn't true and I really needed to earn her love and I needed to do it by doing all these things to try to to make sure that she continued to love me. I know you <clears throat> I know you went from a sort of a victim mindset to a victor mindset. And mm -hmm. that, can, that can be a challenging progress. Are there any techniques or strategies that you employ to reframe your self-perception? Yeah, e even that whole victim to victor mindset, like considering myself a victim, and that's really how I viewed my childhood trauma there there was some neglect there was some abuse that happened and as i thought of myself as a victim i i was in many ways controlled by my past trauma my identities as a victim then i've given all that power over to my mother and to my father to shape who i am as a person and i realized i had the power to write my story the way i wanted it to be told and the only way to do that was to stop seeing myself as a victim and to move into seeing myself as a victor, someone who had um, survived trauma, someone who had endured those kinds of hardships. And instead of calling myself a victim, I started using um, the phrase that I am someone that had been victimized, which is more of an action right. as opposed to an identity. And as I did that, it just it just kind of helped reorient my brain to realize that I had the power to choose 
who I was going to be. And I didn't need to give that power to anyone else. What role did therapy play in your healing process? Uh, I can't say enough good things about, about therapy, and maybe that's trite, but uh, therapy really helped me to understand mindfulness to a deeper level, to understand that we need to look at the messages that we're telling ourselves, and then we need to get a hold of those messages and shape them to be proactive and healthy and healing for us. Um, and those skills really were developed in therapy with my therapist helping me to understand who I was and what I wanted as someone that considered themselves a victim and without value. I never knew what I wanted because I didn't think what I wanted mattered. And so my therapist helped me to really go into looking at what I wanted for my life and to realize that that was valuable and that I had a right to have a say in what happened in my life. Can you explain a little bit how you it provided a safe space for exploring and understanding your trauma? Yeah, it, it's interesting to me that um, it's sometimes easier to tell a stranger uh, all kinds of personal things about ourselves uh, more so than someone that loves us. Um, and I think we, we get, or I should just speak for myself, I get caught up in, if I tell this person who I love and who loves me some detail about my past that I'm perhaps ashamed of, then the question mark arises, will they still love me after I tell them this? Mm. Where with a therapist, we're not looking for that person to be in relationship with us, you know, or to become an important person to us in terms of, you know, a spouse or someone like that, that we're connected to. So for me, being able to go into an office and speak with a therapist who was unbiased, who hadn't already formed an opinion of me, and who I didn't have to worry about trying to impress or trying to gain their love was really freeing for me. So building on the metaphor of home renovations, what were some of the faulty foundational beliefs that you needed to dismantle in order to, to move forward in your life? Yeah, I would say the biggest one was that I needed to earn love, that it, that wasn't something that would come freely to me, that I wouldn't be loved just for who I am, but rather I was only going to be loved for what I did. And that really kind of turned me into being a people pleaser and being someone that considered what everybody else wanted as more important than what I wanted or what I needed. So I would say those were the kind of the two foundational beliefs that I needed to really combat. And while I, I be really believe I have value now, I've, I've been able to kind of work through that and use some mantras and phrases to help me kind of rewire my brain to believe those things. I still struggle with being a people pleaser and wanting to make sure everybody else in my life has what they need in advance of me having what I need. Right. Can you share some of the practice approaches you use to reinforce your new mindset? Yeah, the biggest thing for me really was creating um, what I would call mantras. And I got that from a book um, that I read called When Things Fall Apart. Uh, and that book was really pivotal to me, as well as the therapy that I was receiving. For me, it was creating simple phrases that I could say when those emotions came up. So one mantra that I had was, I am safe, I am okay, I am loved. 
and to bring my thinking into the present. So most of my anxiety would be either because I was focusing on what happened to me in the past or because I was projecting into the future some frightening thing that I think or some scenario that was going to happen that was unpleasant. And so probably the biggest technique I learned was to come right into the present moment and say, in this moment, am I safe? Yes, in this moment, are things falling apart? No. In this moment, do I have everything that I need? Yes. And to just that kind of reality of in this moment where I'm sitting right now or where I'm standing right now, am I okay? And that kind of grounded me, I guess, would would be the best way to put that, um, to then be able to kind of take some deep breaths and then proceed on step by step as opposed to projecting way out in the future. Someone who's listening and right now, you know, probably probably listening to your story and and understanding, yeah, they're nodding right now. Um, how long did it take for you to get to where you are now? Are you still in therapy, or was there a specific time where you say, you know what, I think I'm I've reached that um, place where I can move on, and I'm happy with where I am, where I am in life. Yeah, I've been kind of in and out of therapy as things have come up for me. I'm not currently seeing a therapist right now in this season of my life. It's hard for me to put a timeline on that because it's kind of been an in and out thing for me with therapy right. and and in some ways viewing therapy as, okay, I have this situation in my life that I, I need to deal with. Let me get back in touch with my therapist and walk through this with her. I'm kind of shifting in that belief. Um, our nephew is a therapist and I've had some great discussions with him about considering therapy more like you would consider a gym membership. Like we we go to the gym to take care of our physical health. We don't wait till there's a health crisis, hopefully. Um, we try to revert the crisis by staying healthy and kind of there's a move in the therapy realm now to consider therapy like that, where we would have tune-ups and kind of regular therapy appointments to be able to avoid that big crisis. And so while I'm not in therapy in this moment, I'm kind of changing my thinking about using therapy as a crisis intervention, as opposed to using therapy um, as just a tune-up and a way to take care of of myself emotionally. Looking back on your transformation, what advice would you give others who might be struggling with childhood trauma or feeling stuck in their healing process? Yeah, first and foremost, if you haven't had a chance to to narrate your story to somebody that knows how to walk through trauma, I, I can't encourage enough how healthy it is to do that. Um, find a therapist that's skilled in trauma therapy and narrate your story, get it out there. Oftentimes, at least for me, just bringing something into the light, just telling somebody is half the battle because those things that we keep in secret, that fuels shame for us, that fuels being embarrassed, that fuels the whole kind of secret mindset of, I I can't really tell anybody about this because somehow that looks bad for me. So just bringing things into the light and narrating our story, I think is is a huge help. And then secondly, speak truth to yourself, like figure out what is true 
and speak that into your emotions because your emotions are just they're amoral if i can put it that way they they come and they go they're very they're very we can't rely on them and so if we can know some things that are true like for me speaking that truth to myself that i am valuable and i am safe was really important for me to to come to finally believe that that is true. I know the show was called, well, I not, of course I know, because it's named the show. I named it Executor Help. And with the passing of your mom, you had, he became an executor. And before we, you know, I pushed record, we had a discussion about what it meant to be an executor. What was your experience of, as being an executor? Yeah, it, it was a good experience because my Mom did some things on the front end to help me, which I will now do with my kids. I I will make sure that they know the place they can go to find my passwords and where my accounts are and all that. Of course, we have a will, a living will as as well as a a hard document will. And also giving yourself space. I, I really struggled because all of these emotions were coming up for me as I was also trying to be the executor of my mom's estate and trying to close her estate. And it, it was really difficult for me to balance those two things. And so I, I learned to reach out and to get help. I realized I just can't do this myself. And my daughter was a big help. Um, she and my son-in-law in cleaning out my mom's place and selling some of my mom's stuff. I just was so overwhelmed. I couldn't take care of that. My partner was a huge help for me. She partnered literally with me to walk through not only my trauma, but also to walk through the the decisions that I needed to make in terms of my mom and her estate. So did your mom have gentle with you? Before she passed away, did she have conversations with you or about, you know, where everything was or she did, or she just made it easy for you to find uh, the important information? She did. She told me, I have this booklet. It got all my information in it. Here's where I keep it. Um, She was really good about that. She made me a signer on her checking account um, so that I would have the ability to pay bills um, should that become a necessity. And it did. And that was huge, just being able to pay bills before I even had the paperwork in and got the lawyer to file the things that I needed to become um, a power of attorney for her. so yeah, she did some good things um, with me to show me uh, what I needed to know. Unlike myself and how I got into, our family got into trouble. My yes. parents didn't have those conversations with me. But, and that's because I was like a lot of people, I avoided the situation, procrastinated. But in your case, you and your mom had that conversation. When she was having this talk about, you know, when I die, this is what's going to happen. Were you able to handle it or what did you want to hear it? Or it's like, okay, mom, just tell me where this is. Was it easy, hard? Yeah, it, I didn't really want to hear it. And um, I didn't really want to deal with the, the thought of my mom dying and all of that. And she was, she really was helpful with that. She was very matter of fact about it. And she would just say, I know you don't wanna talk about this, but the reality is this is gonna happen and you need to know these things. So pay attention. Um, So she she was kind of the driver in that. Right, so, and and I guess that's what's passed on to you. You're kind of the driver 
and uh mm -hmm. you're nodding it to me yes absolutely i can see that again before we we had a great conversation and not that we, we're not having a great conversation now but before we press record at this stage of your life you were a you, what your career is and you were telling me what you do uh, and maybe you want to share a little bit about that i know you said that you you sold everything and now you and your partner are in an rv going around wherever you you care to go what brought about that sort of life uh, yep. style change and, and made it make that decision yeah so i managed a group of physical therapy clinics uh eight clinics in a larger private practice physical therapy company um and my partner was a physical therapist and throughout it was a stressful job on a good day uh, but once the pandemic hit it became um exponentially more stressful trying to manage the safety of our staff as well as caring for patients um, was just very difficult and my mom's death and my partner's dad's death really brought us to this place of of asking ourselves do we want to continue doing this or do we have the means to retire a little bit early and really enjoy what we have now because we don't know how long we have the opportunity to do that so we got with our financial planner and went through our all of our finances with her and cr created a plan basically and so we retired in june of 2021 i was 62 at the time my partner was 59 and we had this desire to be untethered that's the word that i think we would both use and so kind of counterculturally, we sold everything. We still have, uh, we have a very small storage unit with um, some meaningful things that we owned. But for the most part, we sold uh, the majority of our furniture. We sold our house. We bought a uh, Ram truck and a 21 foot uh, teardrop shape uh, travel trailer, trailer. And for the last two years, we have been traveling around the United States and um, living in our RV and Honestly, I wasn't sure if I would enjoy it, but it has been really fun. It's it's a very carefree way to live. And I think coming off of the careers that we had and the deaths that we had dealt with, uh, being kind of carefree here for a few years was just the ticket for us. When you were you know working with your financial planner and you, you know, clearly you had the means to make the decision to do that, was was this one of your financial goals and objectives? Is this how you thought you would in retirement, this is what you would be doing? Or is it what negated it was more the pandemic and everything and you know, the deaths in the family, all that sort of stuff shifted your 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 path of where you thought you would uh, you know, enjoy your golden years? Yeah, you know, we I would say we we didn't have kind of a set plan of what we thought things would look like in our retirement. And the fact that we kind of decided very quickly to retire early was another factor in that. My partner did have a deep desire to be kind of nomadic for a while, right. um, to be able to, she's a, a big backpacker and hiker and really had a desire to kind of travel around and be able to hike some different trails in the U.S um and go on some longer backpacking trips and that kind of thing so we did have that in mind and actually she was going to retire and i was going to continue to work uh, my job was stressful but i really enjoyed it as well um, but the pandemic really changed things for us mm -hmm. uh, again that and the a couple of deaths that were thrown in there um really changed things for us and 
And it became for us less about amassing as much wealth as we could to be comfortable in retirement and versus do we have enough to be able to retire now and really enjoy ourselves and maybe not have as lavish as a life that some might have in retirement. Um, but and that became- But it's the, the, the lifestyle that, that makes you both happy. And at this point, it depends on, you know, what's important to you. And clearly the pandemic and, you know, the deaths, as you said, uh, changed things for you. And now you, you look at things differently. Mm-hmm. And now where do you, at this point right now, I assume, I'm not going to assume it, but I'm going to ask you a question. How do you feel in your life where you are right now? Yeah, we're super happy with where we are right now. And we have decided not to put a timeline on what we're doing. We will continue to kind of live this nomadic life in our RV until it's not fun anymore. That's right. kind of what we're we're going for right now. We have money set aside to uh, to be able to be in a home again. But right now, we are very content doing what we're doing. Is it, is it really is it really nomadic or more adventurous? Nomads really don't have an RV and you know have different spots. It's really not nomadic. Is it really nomadic? Would you call it that? Yeah, I, nomadic, I guess, in the sense that we're moving around a lot. Um, it's with, a glamorous a nomadic. It's very glamorous. Yeah, true. It okay. is very glamorous. That is true. Um, I, I think you're right. Nomads generally aren't going to have an RV. Um, so yeah, m- much more just untethered and adventurous at this point. Well, good for you. That it, I, um, I'm, you know, so happy that I was able to track you down, have this conversation with you because what you shared, putting your 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 situation out there and and helping others and letting people know what you went through and let them know that you know where to get help and how you'll feel at the end of the the journey to get better. That there's there's uh, there's hope for everybody. So Kim yeah. Stamp, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here on the Executor Help podcast. Your amazing story. If people want to follow you, do you have socials? How, how can people follow you? Yeah, all my socials are the same handle, um, at Kim Kelly Writes. Um, so any of those places will, uh, in Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, will get you to me. My website is uh, kimkellywrites.com. Yeah, so that's an easy way to find me. And and that way you can help people understand or answer questions about the glamorous nomadic life. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.